Good to see you all again. And uh, as Justin just said, we're going to be uh, answering some questions. And then as he mentioned, if you have one that you feel like you'd like asked, go, go see him in the back. So we've got, we've got Tom Samuel here and, and Daniel Mulunda. And so we're excited to have them answer some of these questions. Now, first of all, Tom works at, as a VP of sales and marketing at a toy company. So by way of introduction, Tom, I know Justin and it's popular ask kind of what's the coolest toy you've ever sold. What's like the lamest toy, like the worst toy you just felt like as part of your job, you had to market it anyway. You just felt bad that parents were going to buy it and kids were going to play play with it. I, I can't give the secret away, you know. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I think all companies make some amazing toys, and sometimes they make duds. And uh, <laughs> we, we had several of them across the years. And uh, I know those in the States would know this better. Last year, I think Mattel tried to launch a product category called Boomco, and uh, it is basically guns like Nerf. Uh, that didn't work in our part of the world. So it was a huge write-off for us, so it didn't pick up. So I think that was a Good. bad one. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, you, you have a great job because you make a lot of kids and their parents happy. And then Daniel, Daniel works uh, independently, basically he's an entrepreneur, works for a sourcing company where he sources goods for people around the world. So question for you, what's the most interesting thing that you have ever sourced? Uh, various things are available for us to source depending on the clients that I request. But uh, instead of interesting, I may say the most one of the most the things that I, one of the things that I did recently was uh, a man coming to me and asking that he wants to source a coffee machine. Then I go to the shop and find the best coffee machine according to the, the supplier. And after procuring it and delivering, it seems that the person did not do the proper installation. Now the warranties are only within the local region. So the thing gets there, it gets one, two machines installed, one fails immediately, and it starts coming to me and saying, Daniel, you have to take the machine and replace it, or the parts that are working, and it lamps the whole thing on, onto us and saying that we have actually messed him up, only to realize it was a problem of installation. Mm. So the challenge comes, the person has installed wrongly and uh, holding us almost liable. Yet, there was a manual to follow. And sometimes some, some of the clients can be interesting and see that some of the things are missing. Only the, and they are the ones who broke the seal. Mm. Can be a bit messy sometimes. That's good. Yep. Well, one, one other thing I think is interesting about Daniel is he sources dump trucks and backhoes. So I know those are on, on my wish list for Christmas. So I know <laughs> now where to send my wife to get those. Okay. Uh, so these two brothers serve as elders here at Redeemer, and so one of the goals of this conference is not to answer every question, but to really start conversations, and then to highlight folks, elders, pastors, others in the church who can help you work through things. And so these brothers are serving here on this panel, but are also equipping this church to help one another answer these questions. One of the, one of the interesting Things I think is God's providence and how people ended up where they did. So, Tom, how did you, how did God lead you to where you're currently working? All right. Uh, I came to UAE in 1991, and uh, it is not because I chose a job. A job chose me. And uh, uh, I think uh, it was just before I was getting married to Padmini, and my parents thought it's wise to get this guy off India so he can forget about my wife. 
and because I was not following their customs and traditions. But uh, God in his sovereignty worked that out for our good because we were having a difficult time with, our, you know, with my in-laws primarily. So us coming to Dubai was helpful for our marriage, for the family to grow. So God worked something out. But at that time, I didn't choose the job. I had to come to a job. That's good. But my head was getting, you know, turned around as I thought more and more about God working in my life. So it is a slow process of realizing what God was doing in my life. That's great. And how about you, Daniel? Uh, somebody uh, who is a friend to one of my relatives opened an, a small office in Dubai. Mm-hmm. And he wanted somebody to help him run the office. So I was recruited for it. My, my, my uncle actually called me and said that uh, it's an offer for you. So after coming to Dubai, we did uh, one and a half years. And uh, when I went to Kenya for my wedding, for that one period of one month, when I came back, I found they said that they, are, they have changed their decision to run the company. So they actually told me that we are closing this company next mm. week. Mm. So think about what you'll do. At that point, it was now a turning point for me. I just got married. My wife is in Kenya. I wanted her to join me. But suddenly I'm jobless. Uh, we just got an apartment for her. She's living in Kenya and she has no job. So I thought quickly what I should do. And trusting God, uh, whether to take a new job or to go independently working. Now, within that one and a half years, I'd raised some client base. And I thought the best thing to do right now, according to what God has given to me, is to continue servicing the client base I've been getting. Hmm. Yeah, so since that time, I've been doing that. That's great. So from those stories, I think it's, it's just, you know, if you're in a position where you're feeling like, I don't know what the future holds, I don't know where God's leading, it's just great to hear these brothers and just different stories the way God has been providing in very practical ways, even in a period, obviously, losing a job right after getting married. Certainly not, not the best news, but praise God for that. So one, one of the things Greg talked about yesterday was we can tend to make work an idol where we over-identify with our work, and so our identity becomes the job and we lose sight of Christ. The other thing he talked about was when we're idle at work, when the job itself feels less than anything we should be doing, and we lose the sense that actually part of our discipleship is the job that he's given us. So I want to ask both of you all, uh, and really focus on the I-D-O-L, making work an idol. Have you felt that? And if so, can you give an example of, of when in your life you saw that job becoming more important, you were at least, at least competing with, your, with King Jesus in your life? Daniel, feel free to start. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at some point in my work, I started deriving my sense of importance and security from what I'm doing and uh, from the networks that I've established. And uh, a time came that I felt so invincible. I was growing well, the business was growing, and the uh, client base was growing. So I started feeling a lot of my sense of importance is because of what I'm doing, and uh, almost looking down on people who seem to be struggling, and uh, thinking that the ultimate security that I have is based on how much I have. But over time, God kept revealing to me that it is he that is responsible for bringing to me every single connection. Mm. And, uh, and every business that comes my way purely comes from his hand. Amen. Therefore, he is the source and not the people that I am rela- relating with. And my business is not going to be the source for me, 
God is the source. So those moments when I was thinking about the amount of money I'm getting and uh, the clients I have, the high-profile uh, personalities that I'm dealing with, especially from our African continent, mm-hmm. uh, ministers and uh, people with a lot of money and power, I was deriving a lot of significance there. Until mm-hmm. God started bringing it breaking Amen. down. That's, that's <clears throat> just that idea that Ultimately, any success we have is because God was kind enough to give us that success. And even if we think to ourselves, well, it's because I'm smarter or work harder. Well, who gave you that smart and that hard work? Well, God obviously gave us that. So he's responsible for both the means and the ends. Tom, how about you? Well, I think uh, I kind of got carried away with the verse in the Bible. If a man does not work, he must not eat. I made that a rule for my life. Uh, It kind of twisted it. And uh, so what happened was... To eat, I had to work more because I was earning a pittance. So instead of working the regular shift, I was putting in overtime, four hours, five hours. So I was probably working 10 to 12 hours a day. And I was sharing in the breakout session group that uh, it was a difficult life, seven days a week, trying to make some money. And uh, I had no life. But I realized that just to make, uh, put food on the table, because I thought that was my primary responsibility, which is true, it is our responsibility, I kind of put a lot of weight and emphasis in my work and the role that I was doing at the job. So I was willing to go through anything just to put food on the table. But in my heart, when I explored it later, it was, I was idolizing the money and the work of the job. And uh, that became so important to me. And I couldn't have a good conversation with my wife because I wanted to sleep well and get up in the morning and go to work. I wanted to give all my energy to work. <clears throat> So that became my satisfaction, though I didn't like it, but that became my primary motive to do anything. I was willing to give up my relationships with people. I was willing to not go to church. And so it it was a huge challenge for me. So some friends would uh, ask me questions, and I would kind of defend it and say, listen, you guys have a fancy job. I don't have it. But uh, God knew, I I think I saw the intentions in my own heart. I wanted to make something for myself. I wanted to prove to others that I'm as good as them. Uh, so these became the idols, and they were competing with God himself in my heart. Uh, so I think uh, the process for me was three years in that job. I remember God was humbling me, uh, putting me in difficult situations, but uh, refining me in that fire. So I think uh, I'm thankful to uh, God that he helped me to move my uh, worship of the job to worship of the God. Amen. Yeah. So, so Greg last night talked about that, and that's, you know, again, when we think about an, an, a statue that we might bow down to, and we, we knew we were doing that in our lives, and a Christian friend confronted us on that, we would want to repent of that. Well, obviously, idol, idolatry to a job is more subtle, because it doesn't look the same, but it can be just as bad. So I would just encourage you all, if you're here and this conference has helped you think about the fact that you might be idolizing your job, Recognize that in the gospel you can have freedom for that. Repent of that and, and confess to a friend. Confess to a friend and get them involved in your life and helping them think about that. So shifting gears a little bit. So who here is an entrepreneur? Who here would consider themselves an entrepreneur? Handful of folks. Who would want to be an entrepreneur someday? Anyone? All right. So probably about a quarter of the room. So these brothers are both entrepreneurs. What advice, practical advice, kind of tip, would you give folks in this room who either are or want to be entrepreneurs? Um, 
I think the first of all, I would ask the question, why do you want to be an entrepreneur? And uh, it's a very important question because very often we want to examine the motives for setting that company up or wanting to start a company. And uh, I think uh, I've tried to examine my own heart and very often I've seen greed. Now, greed is something that not many people repent of. Nobody says, I'm greedy, I want to repent of my sin. But I think that's one danger that all Christians can be kind of uh, subtly seduced by. And the greed is because you want to make a better life, you want to have something to prove that you, know, you can do it, you own something. And uh, so for me, I had to examine those motives and realize, no, that's not the reason why I want to set up a company. I want to use it for God's glory. I want to see how additional money can come in for the kingdom of God, how it can be spared, or how people can have opportunities so that, you know, I, I, I sometimes choose people for the job because I want to share the, the word of God with them. And I'm keeping that at the back of my mind. So I've got a com- we've got a company now, probably about 18 people, and out of that, 12, 13 do not know the Lord. And I'm looking at opportunities to share the gospel. And I think that's ultimately the most significant. So use the opportunity that God gives you, the skills and the talents to set up a company for God's glory, that you would be able to use it to get money, to share, to help others, and spread the gospel. What about you, Daniel? What's a tip or practical advice you give folks? Uh, what I may uh, give uh, as a way of advice is that uh, if you're choosing to be an entrepreneur, think through it and to consult well. And not only consulting, but uh, bring these things before God. Let God fill you with the wisdom and guidance on what you should do. Consult godly men. And in entrepreneurship, there are so many there'll be so many traps depending on who, which part of the world you're doing it. The, the, uh, the, the temptations to cheat, the temptation driven by greed, as Thomas said, to want to make more money. And so somebody has to examine the heart very well so that you can say you want to be very gospel-centered in your entrepreneurship activities. Uh, I just want to say something else. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, so Daniel and I, we have been in touch over work and business, and uh, we decided to set up a company in Africa, Kenya. And, uh, and we deliberated over it. We prayed about that, and finally we got together. But it's, it's there, but not really you know, taken off yet. But the point is that we want to talk to one another about that as well. So go to the elders. Go to trusted friends with, who will advise you through, through biblical principles on what it looks like. So many of us want to hide that greed, so we don't want to talk about uh, starting a company. Mm. And I would say, brothers and sisters, open that up. Uh, talk about it. I know some brothers who came from other parts of the world wanted to talk to us about looking for a job in this part of the world. They didn't keep it in a silo. They talked about it. And I think that's good if you have a healthy church to back that up. That's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm just really thankful when I asked you guys both for advice on that. You gave biblical wisdom. So just again, encourage you all. Turn to folks. These guys obviously have tons of practical advice as well and experience, but you want to hear biblical wisdom. Now, we have a speed round question from the back. We're going to do three speed round questions, one for each of you. And so emphasize speed round. I'm going to ask a short question. You're going to give a short answer. It doesn't mean these aren't really deep and significant questions. So thank you to those of you who came back. We'll have a second round and we'll get to some other ones. Sebastian, do you ask for a promotion or do you wait 
Do I or does one? Not you personally, <laughs> but does one in this audience who uh, feels like they're ready and have earned a promotion, do they ask for it or should they wait? I think you have freedom to do either. It's a speed round. That's a great answer. Very good. <laughs> so it doesn't demonstrate a lack of trust in God if you ask for it? I think it's fine to, to say, hey, I think I'm doing a great job. I think the market pays more. What do you think? I would just go into that conversation totally fine with a no and have your attitude not change at all. I think it's also fine to wait and let somebody else notice. Great. I think it's fine. All right, Daniel, have you ever been ready to quit a job? And if the answer is yes, what did you learn from that? Come again. Have you ever been ready to quit a job? And no. if the answer... No. Okay. <laughs> Tom? Um, yes. Okay. And what did you learn from that experience? Don't move till God tells you to move. It's easy to make hasty decisions mm. and uh, realize that that may not be the best thing. Because we are very subjective people. We want to look at our circumstances and situations and make, take the call. And sometimes they may not be favorable. We, it appears to be favorable, but they may not be. So prayer, waiting, counsel with other believers, all important. Very good. And then this is for any of the three of you that wants to chime in, and then we'll end speed round number one here. What would you say to someone who's concerned about speaking of their faith with friends or coworkers because of fear of persecution or worse? Not exactly a speed round question, but uh, that'll cue up your next... I think Matthew twelve ten speaks about that when... Uh, uh, Jesus said, if some, when you're going to speak to somebody and there's a persecution, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to speak through you. So he's the one who does that. So it's not for us to be fearful about it. God is using us to speak at that moment. So I think the other thing is that we have to realize Jesus was persecuted. And so if you are standing uh, for him, that can come a, 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 along to us as well. And we are on the side of God on that, on that situation. So pray for courage, pray for strength. The only, the only caveat I would add there is I think often we think evangelism in the workplace means during the work hours only. In some jobs, I think it's not appropriate to use your employer's time that they're paying you for in that way. And I would say that's okay, but it doesn't stop you from building relationships during the day that you can then invite people out for coffee or over your house on nights and weekends, to be evangelistic. So that's the one caveat. If you're being persecuted because you're not doing your job, because mm. you're sharing the gospel, I would just want to talk through that, with, or have you talk that through with someone who can help you think through, are you using your employer's time in the wrong way? Yeah, I mean, see also that uh, in the workplace, that is one of the best places to establish a gospel-centered relationship. And evangelism, because the people will get to see you more, you have interacted more, so over time you gain their trust. So when they have doubts about the faith, they'll come to you and ask you, Hey, you are a Christian. Can you explain to me what is this? And, the, and that's at that point, even in places where there is a, uh, a lot of persecution, because you're relating on a, on a friendly basis, the person has t- time and chance to listen to you well. Well, and I, I think what you said is great. The, 
Workplace is a great place to establish gospel-centered relationships, which also means it's a great place to wreck your gospel witness if you don't do work well or if you do work in a way that doesn't reflect Christian character. So realize that cuts both ways. Mm -hmm. Great opportunity to point to Christ, great opportunity to defame the name of Christ. So take seriously doing work with excellence as under the king. Okay, question that I think is probably everyone can relate to either this point in life or at some point in life they will have to relate to this is a big question i get all the time i'm asking you too how do you balance work church and family at one point i was so engrossed with my work i would leave my home at sometimes eight o'clock come back at midnight throughout uh depending on the demand of it But I realized that uh, as God kept on working in me, I need to keep deliberately time away from work for the sake of family. And uh, started cutting down just deliberately. And I made all my clients know that there are particular days you cannot get me. And they got adapted to that. So a Saturday became not a working day for me. Except it is extreme, extreme that I, that, that I must put in a one hour. And so I availed time for my family. And most of the people that I was, I've been working with got adapted to the fact that Daniel is not available anymore on Saturdays. That was a purposeful thing that I did. And uh, the other thing is uh, just to keep on purposely dedicating time, especially if you're a business person, dedicating time for the family. Nobody will carry it out for you unless you do it yourself. What about you, Tom? Well, I think uh, that work balance and uh, with family and life is not easy. And I think one of the biggest gifts that I've had in my life is uh, family that is, is forgiving me all the time. I think that's huge. <laughs> and it's purely the grace of God. So I've struggled, and, uh, but I think uh, even my children, you know, they've pointed me several times. So uh, as old as I am now, suddenly I realized that I need to carve some time out with the family and I said I've got to do this deliberately so I'm trying to work at that but I think a forgiving family is so important I think Christ calls us for that but don't take them for granted that's what I'm trying to learn as well so I want to apply those truths in my life and when I love my wife better I'm trying that as well uh, I want to do that and uh, so it's a, it's a reminder of how sinful we are even in the ways that we do things and how, we, how much we need to be covered by God's grace yeah. That's good. Good word. And I would just encourage you all, in those three areas, think through what it looks like to be faithful in your church, as a member, in your workplace, and in your family. What does it mean to be faithful in all those? And it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy case. Just think about what the Bible would say, and then kind of compare, how am I doing in being faithful in those? And if I'm not being faithful in one of those areas, I need to repent of that, and I need to make some changes. I think these guys just modeled exactly that in their own lives. So on a, one other question I think it, it, it's really helpful. I think a, a one of the, one struggle that I think Christians have is that the idea that being in some sort of a full-time ministry role is more valuable than being in some sort of secular job. Can you speak to that? How would you think about that with people who said, is full-time ministry more valuable than the job that I have? I think I just had a conversation with Nigel here earlier. Uh, I believe God has placed people, gifted people with various abilities to be in various roles. And ministry is one of them. 
just as much as work is because work is a good gift from our God. Uh, God had intended that in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2.15 that man was created to tend the garden. So it's a good thing. However, sin has distorted that. We, we don't understand it in the, in the proper way it should be. So I believe that uh, it's a good thing and uh, it's wise for us to uh, uh, trust God in the areas of how we apply those, those areas. And the other thing is that I, I always like to think of God has not closed up his shop of evangelism. It's still open. The shop is still open. And there's employment all the time till he comes at least. So uh, how can we be active about that? So what so, I'm hearing you say, Tom, is theologically, biblically, yeah. full-time ministry is not more valuable than a secular job. No. Both have equal weight as far as the Lord uh, Good. has given them. Daniel, what would you say to that question? How would you encourage folks in that? Uh, I, would the same, I have the same standing with Tom that uh, both are valuable before God. There are some people you cannot reach easily if you approach them saying that you are a gospel minister, as saying you are full-time. There are some people you can reach easily because you're working. Talk of uh, countries like where, the region where we are. Uh, there are very fruitful evangelism activities that are taking place because there is a Christian worker who is connected to maybe a leader in the region. And uh, the point of contact is the work. So to have good, effective ministry doesn't mean that you have to be a full-time worker. You could have more effectiveness according to your timing, maybe because of where you're working. Again, according to the age or the timing of life, today you could be working, and some years down the line, God could lead you into full-time ministry. So there, there are all those differentials that will, that, that will come into play. That's a good word. So, so if that's a question that you're wrestling with, as you've heard me say and us say repeatedly, certainly talk to other folks in your church, your elders, others. And I would just say, you're hearing up here folks say there's not theologically a difference. Now, we do know that God cares a lot about the preaching of his word. So there is a specialness to that, but theologically, not a distinction. But if you personally keep thinking about, well, gosh, I would, I would love to spend more time proclaiming the gospel, discipling people, then it could very well be that for you, God has you directing into full-time ministry. And that's something that you should explore personally. But just on a theological level, I think that's what you're hearing. Justin, we have another right. speed round, I think. We are concluding with this speed round, too. So we have about three minutes left, and then we're going to transition out of our panel discussion. So three quick, deep questions. Um, all right, starting with Sebastian. How do I balance staying in a job if it violates the must-haves? So Greg spoke about how do you know you're called to a job? Look down at your feet. So you're in a job, but then you listen to your talk today and see those must-haves and say, hey, at least for some of the year, I don't feel like I'm able to faithfully glorify God in all the ways that we, you presented in the must-haves. How do you deal with a situation like that? Yeah, so I think if you're in a situation where, and again, I don't know all the particulars, but you're in a job where you're like, I don't have any of the must-haves, they're all nice-to-haves, but you know, practically, I just can't flip a switch tomorrow, then I would say you just need to use wisdom and say, how do I 
transition to a place of greater faithfulness, even if it takes time. So I might need to put a plan in place to say over the next X amount of time, I want to be moving in a direction where those must-haves mark what I do. And so that just might take time. And so I think that's another opportunity for you to think wisely about what that looks like. But I think it's, again, this, the purpose of that talk is not to make anyone feel like I am sinning. If you are, then absolutely switch. But if it's just, hey, I need to reorder things, then wisely start to reorder those things in your life as quickly as you practically can. Very good. Tom, um, how do you as a Christian respond if you see in your industry or place of work others being mistreated? Um, Well, I think uh, my first response, I know I've faced it, I get angry. Um, Because I I see that, you know, this is a teaching that I've learned because when I first came to UAE, I realized I was mistreating people myself. I had classes of people because based on the jobs they did. But that's something that the Lord, you know, kind of uh, shaped me into. So now when I say people, if somebody is mistreating somebody, I, I get really upset about that. But then I also do talk about it. So very often the mistreating is happening not because, uh, not, not because the believers, it's the non-believers. So you want to be able to talk to them at least in a, in a human, humane perspective, but then I want to tell them why I say that, why I believe that. And I'll share that with them. But if it's a Christian doing that, I'll show grace and I'll say, this is not the way to do it. So I think I'll engage in a conversation. And in the office, we tend to do that, both those situations. Yeah. Great. And final question, Daniel. How do you deal in situations where a company expects you to sell or service in a way that is unethical? Uh, if there's anything uh, that somebody has to do unethical, the first thing is to ask ourselves, is this what God asks me to do? Because the fundamental thing in our business, or in any business, is to do as a Christian, is to do God's will. So if the company brings in policies that are unethical, and especially when it relates to dealing with other clients, first thing is to start pointing out, this is not what is expected. And if you are put under pressure for a long time to, to want to do some unethical things, I think the next thing would be to say, I cannot do it. And I would uh, bail up and look for an alternative job. I think it's part of the must-haves, uh, the, the fundamental must-have, God glorifying in our activities. Thanks for using that framework already. <laughs> I appreciate that you're incorporating All right. If you all can give a round of applause and thank these gentlemen for their time on the panel. Hey, thank you. Can you take the chairs off? Can you take the chairs off? Yeah. Can you take the chairs off?